Now, we've been talking about starting strong over the last several weeks. Uh, two weeks ago, I talked with you about starting strong physically. Last week, we talked about starting strong spiritually. And today, I want to talk with you on the subject of bringing uh, strength and health to your finances in 2015. I believe that all of us want the abundant blessings of God in our lives and in our homes. In fact, uh, that's one of the promises that Jesus gave to his people in John 10.10. Many of you are familiar with that. He said, the thief comes to kill, steal, destroy. But he says, I have come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. Um, that's how the New King James puts it. In other translations in the New International, it says that you might have life to the full. In the New Living Translation, that you might have a rich and satisfying life. Uh, in the Amplified, it says an overflowing life. The actual Greek word here literally means superior life, a, a, an excessive life, uh, a super abundant life, beyond measure life. So you kind of, all these English superlatives trying to, um, trying to define what the Greek is saying, it gives you a, the definite idea that God wants to do something very good and abundant and satisfying in his people. This is why Jesus came. He specifically said, I have come that you might have this in your life. But here's what you have to know. If you are going to experience this kind of blessing in your life in 2015, there are conditions that must be met. Now, last week, I talked with you about making Jesus the Lord, not just your Savior, but the Lord of your life. That means you give him your heart, you give him your obedience. We talked about that in detail. This week, I want to share with you about the way you make his lordship practical in your life because lordship is more than just a prayer that you pray. It's not just you saying, Jesus, I make you Lord, that's good. But it's more than that. It's more than a song that you sing about Jesus being your Lord. Jesus being Lord is a very practical thing, especially to God. And it is, it is established upon the foundation of a firm biblical principle, what we might call the principle or the law of first things. And for us to understand this, I'm going to take you primarily into an understanding some teaching in the Old Testament, which has incredible bearing upon us as New Testament Christians, to see how the, the law or the principle of first things was played out in, in the typology of Old Testament sacrifices that were given to God. Okay, so when you look at the Old Testament law regarding sacrifices, regarding offerings that the people would bring, one thing is, is abundantly clear in the, in the law. The offerings were, be, were to be the first and they were to be the best the people could offer. They were to be the first and they were to be the best that the people had to offer. Now, the reason for that was very simple. That was the way that God said you honor him. You give your first and you give your best. And it was also an incredible expression of faith. Because when you give your first, you're trusting that there will be remainder, that there will be more coming. Make sense? When you give your last, you've already had the blessing, and you're giving out of your leftovers. But when you give your first, before all of that blessings come, 
it is, it's a statement of faith that says, okay, I'm going to believe that God is going to fulfill his word. And so God said to the people, I want you to give your first and I want, to get, want you to give your best as a, as a way to honor me as your God and as a way to express your faith that I will be true to my word. In fact, through the Old Testament prophet Malachi, one of the, the indictments, one of the charges that God brought against Israel was that they were not offering their first. They were not offering their best. Listen to what he said. The Lord said this in Malachi 1.8. When you give blind animals as sacrifice, sacrifices, isn't that wrong? And isn't it wrong to offer animals that are crippled and diseased? Try giving gifts like that to your governor and see how pleased he is. In other words, when we, when we give, when we pay our earthly obligations with less than what is expected, are the people that we pay pleased with that? Obviously not. They, they demand that the conditions of the contract be met. They won't accept anything less, and that's what he's saying here. The governor expects certain response from you when you don't live up to the contract with the governor, see, how pleased is he with you about, about that? So the Old Testament law was very clear about animal sacrifices. They were to be the first, and they were to be the, the best of the herd. And God would not accept anything else. If they gave him anything less than the first and the best, it wouldn't bring the blessings that they longed for or that they had hoped for. So if they raised animals, if they had a flock, if they had a herd, whatever the case, they gave God the firstborn that came from the herd or the flock. Not the second, not the third, the first. If they raised crops, the Old Testament law called it the first fruits of the harvest. And the first fruits were God's. Not the leftovers, the first. Even firstborn children born into a family were God's. Except for the fact that God does not accept human sacrifice, and therefore he told Israel, to redeem their firstborn back by instead sacrificing uh, an acceptable sacrificial animal, a lamb or a goat or an ox. The only exception to all of this was if the firstborn animal born into that family, uh, uh, the herd animal or, or whatever it was, if it was not acceptable for sacrifice as outlined by God. Because God only accepted five specific animals for sacrifice. Oxen, goats, sheep, pigeons, and turtle doves. These were the only animals that the people could sacrifice. So if they had a firstborn animal that was different from one of the five that were acceptable, they still had to acknowledge that the firstborn was God's, but they would redeem it. The word redeem means buy back. So when we talk about the fact that we are redeemed by the blood of Jesus, that means we have been bought back from 
hell from Satan, we've been bought back by the blood of Jesus to become gods again, to be born into his family. So what they would do is redeem the unacceptable animal. They would buy it back by substituting an animal that was acceptable to God. So you see redemption pictured in all of the Old Testament. Now here's the key truth you need to understand. When they offered the first of their animals or the first fruits of their crops to the Lord, they were to acknowledge that the Lord had first place in their lives. This was their way of saying, God, we're giving you our first because you have first place in us. And that act brought God's blessing, it brought glory to God and it brought God's blessings upon the remainder of everything they owned, everything they earned, everything they possessed. So what were the blessings like? Well, we read about it in Malachi 3, 11 and 12. This is God's promise. I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all the nations will call you blessed for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. Okay, so I am going to bless you so that your barns are full, your vines, uh, the grapes ripen, whatever you're growing, whatever you're raising multiplies. I am going to bless your life and everybody around you will look at you and say, what in the world are they doing? What kind of fertilizer are they using? What kind of water do they have? What is happening to their household because they're such blessing? And everybody will be astonished at your life. Don't you want your life to be such that people look at you and say, how in the world is that happening to them? How in the world is that taking place in their life? Sure you do. You want those kind of blessings that everybody around you says, I can't believe what's happening to them. And they come to you and they say, what is happening in your life? Why is, are these blessings, what, what's taking place? And you say, I've put Jesus first in my life and that's the reason why God is blessing me. So he's saying here, in other words, that their efforts are going to be uh, effective and their work is going to be productive. Now, you may not be a farmer, you may not be a rancher. In fact, you probably aren't. But I know that you want your efforts to be uh, effective and your work to be productive. I certainly do. I don't want to live for no reason. I want my life to count. You want your life to count. And the Lord says... This is how you make that happen. You acknowledge that he is the Lord of all that you own and of all that you have ever earned and all that you ever will earn. It all belongs to him. And so, and this is wonderful, the release this brings to you. The bank account is God's. Some of us are afraid to give him our money. Give it to him. Because right along with giving him your resources come all of the issues that, you know, the, the lack thereof. Give that to God. Let God deal with that in your life instead of you worrying about it all the time. The house is yours. Instead of saying it's mine, mine, mine. No, dedicate it to the Lord. Your car is his. You know, it's not man, can I have the fastest or the best or the greater or whatever? No, it's God. I want my house to glorify you. I want you to use it to take me from here to there, wherever there might be, so that I might glorify you and do the work of God wherever I'm at. The kids are his. 
Hallelujah. Give them to him. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. I think about in the Old Testament where Moses and God are talking back and forth, especially in Exodus there, and, and God saying, and your people, Moses, and, God, and Moses turns around and says, and your people, God. It's like nobody wanted them. You know, it's like we're, we're passing them off all the time, you know. Pass your kids off to Jesus. Let him, dedicate him to him. Let him take care of your kids. On and on and on you could go. Everything in your life, everything you possess, everything you will ever earn belongs to the Lord. And you need to understand that this goes beyond just saying, Lord, it's yours. It starts in your heart. Certainly that's where everything starts. But there is something that you've got to do that's very practical that makes this all real. Now, just before God told Israel in verses 11 and 12 of Malachi 3 that he would rebuke the devourer, I want the devourer rebuked in my life, amen? Don't you want the devourer, that which comes against you and devours everything you have? What, don't you want that rebuked by God? Amen. He says, though, it, just before he says that's going to happen, listen to what he says in verse 10. You bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. So here's what God was teaching Israel and us. When you keep what is God's for yourself, it allows the curse of the destroyer into your life and into your household. It, it, it allows the curse of the destroyer upon all that you do and all that you own. It's not to say that it will always happen immediately, but it opens you up for the destroyer to come against you. So that you live your life, you look back and you say, I've never had enough. I'm always in need. I've always been in need. Listen to what the Old Testament prophet Haggai said happened to Israel because they didn't keep God first place. Chapter 1, verse 6, You have planted much, but harvest little. You eat, but you are not satisfied. You drink, but you are still thirsty. You put on clothes, but cannot keep warm. Your wages disappear as though you were putting them in pockets filled with holes. Now, we are blessed to live in the breadbasket of the world. But I want to remind you, and some I don't know how much they teach in history anymore, but I want to remind you that in the 1930s, the breadbasket of America was a dust bowl. Because of drought and wind, North Dakota, South Dakota, Eastern Wyoming, Eastern Colorado, Kansas, Oklahoma, Texas, and parts of other states. But that breadbasket, you know, every time we carries from Kansas, and of course our, our children now live in Kansas City, so every time we drive through Kansas, you always see these signs that say, one Kansas farmer feeds 129 people plus you. And, um, wow, hallelujah. 
But you know what? 80 years ago, that wasn't true. They were producing nothing. And we think that we do this by the ingenuity of our own ability. I'm telling you something, folks. America has been what America has been and has been blessed because of God. And because of what God has done for us. Not because he loves us or favors us above anybody else. But when we live our lives as a nation on the principles of godliness and biblical principles, God will bless us. When we don't, those blessings are removed. And a devourer comes in. A curse comes upon us. And that's what Haggai is talking about here. He says, you, it's like worms have eaten holes in your pockets. I went hunting one time years ago, back in the mid-1980s. I was down on the LaSalle Mountains just east of Moab. And I had, I had a, a successful hunt that year. And I'm hauling my, I, I got an elk. I got a big bull elk. And I'm, well, there are a bunch of us hauling it back because it's very, very heavy. And we get back to my truck. You could see my truck from where I shot the animal. And when we got to the truck and I reached in my pocket to get my keys to unlock the truck, there were no keys in my pocket. And what did I find? A hole in the bottom of the pocket. And my heart sank. That's the only vehicle we got. And the keys are somewhere. And I just said, oh, God. And I looked down, and there were my keys on the ground right by my foot. <laughs> Makes me shiver just thinking about it, what could have happened. But you know what? Sometimes you don't find the money down on the ground by your foot. You've leaked it all along the way, and it's gone. You know, it's just gone. It's like your holes have, your, your pockets rather have holes in it, and the money's just disappearing. And so what he's saying here is that if we take what is God's and, and use it for ourselves, we are opening our lives to the destroyer, to Satan, to fill our pockets with holes so that we're never productive. We never have enough. Throughout Old Testament teaching about the tithe, the Lord was very clear that the tithe was holy, and it must not be used for anything other than what he said it's to be used for. It's to be brought to the storehouse, to his house. And the Lord said that paying that tithe would become the way that the Israelites would declare that God was first in their lives and that they trusted him with everything else. And God was so strict about this that he said if they used the tithe for themselves, not only would they not receive a, a blessing upon their own personal lives that comes from tithing, but actually they would open their lives up to a curse to come upon them. In fact, the Hebrew is translated from two English words uh, which I found very interesting. The one is accursed, and the other is devoted. And, and you see this in, in Joshua chapter 6, verse 18. And he says, but you keep yourselves, and this is God speaking, you keep yourselves from the accursed and devoted things. Now, what's he talking about? Let me just pause here and tell you what he's talking about. 
This is when Israel's getting ready to, to conquer the promised land. The first city that they conquered when they went across Jericho is a city by the name of, Je uh, excuse me, the Jordan River. When they went across the Jordan River, the first city they conquered was a city by the name of Jericho. And this is what God told them. Don't you touch any of the loot in the city. You leave it alone because it's symbolic. It's the first fruits of your conquest of all of the promised land. So the first city is mine. Now, it was customary when an army would conquer a city, they would take the loot for themselves. That's how they got paid. They would take the loot and bring it back to the community from, from which they were from. And that's how that, that kingdom grew in wealth and power. But God said, you leave it alone. You don't touch it. Why? It's because if you do, it's devoted. First of all, see the word devoted? It's a devoted thing. It's a holy thing. It's the first fruit. You leave it alone. And if you mess with it, it'll become a curse to you. So it either can be a blessing or it can be a curse in your life. Lest when you have devoted it, you take of the accursed thing and so make the camp of Israel accursed and troubled because of it. And that's exactly what happened because the truth of the matter is Israel didn't leave it alone. I mean, everybody but one guy. One guy by the name of Achan decided that the loot was just too appealing and he grabbed a bunch of it and hid it under his tent and that brought disaster upon all of Israel. The next time they went into war, they lost the war against a very inferior opponent and they're shocked. They can't believe they lost. And God said, it's because you took the devoted thing. Well, everybody didn't take it, just one guy. But that one guy brought a curse upon the whole, the whole bunch of them. And so they lost the next uh, battle in the war. And until the, the Lord revealed that it was Achan, and Achan was dealt with, they were under a curse. But once they dealt with Achan, the blessings of God came back upon them. And it's interesting that in Malachi chapter 3, verse number 8, God uses the imagery of stealing and robbing when we take what is his and use it for ourselves. Uh, listen to what it says here in Malachi 3, 8. Will a man rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how do we rob you? And he says, in tithes and offerings. And then listen to number, verse number 9. You are under a curse because you are robbing me. So not only are you not being blessed, but it's like now you're being cursed. So you're double jeopardy, double worse off there. So Achan robbed God by taking tithe from Jericho, and it brought the curse upon all of Israel. And Malachi 3 says that God's people rob God when they keep the tithe back for themselves. But when the tithe is, is holy to God, when it is kept holy to God, it becomes a source of incredible blessing into your life. It becomes a shield around you, protecting you from the destroyer, from the devourer. It redeems, it multiplies, it makes effective the 90% that remains. Does that make sense? When you make the tithe holy, the first, God says, I will make the 90% blessed 
in a way that goes far beyond the 100% that you wish you had. I can make the 90% do more than you can make the 100% do, is what God is saying. But, but just Old Testament sacrifices, it was not just a matter of the people giving any old animal, any old harvest. The lamb, the ox, the harvest, the bird, whatever it was, had to be, underline that in your brain, had to be the firstborn, or it wasn't the tithe. It had to be the first fruits. I'm not trying to be legalistic with you here. I'm just trying to share with you a principle that God has has taught me. You can't give God your leftovers and expect his blessings, even if the leftovers amount to 10%. It's not a matter of percentage, it's a matter of uh, order. It's the first that goes to God. It's not just a matter of 10%, it's the first 10% that belongs to the Lord. If what you give God is not your first fruits, if it's not, it's, if it's not the, the firstborn, it's not the tithe. It's an offering. And an offering is a good thing, it's a wonderful thing. There's nothing wrong with offerings, But the offering in the Old Testament would not redeem the rest of the the remaining 90%. Only the tithe would multiply the 90%. Only the tithe would increase the 90%, not the offering. The tithe is what redeemed and multiplied and made effective the 90%. So how do I make this work in, in my life? Well, the very first thing that Carrie and I pay, and I use the word pay because we consider this a bill. We don't give our tithe, we pay our tithe. The very first thing that we pay is our tithe. The tithe is first. The tithe is first before the mortgage. The tithe is first before the rent payment. The tithe is first before the the utility bills, the clothes are purchased, the mortgage. The, the, the uh, school programs, vacations, going skiing, vehicles, on and on and on. They come after the tithe. Even our missions faith promise that we make, we pay our tithe first and then we pay our missions faith promise. In our particular case, we pay our tithe first, our missions, faith, promise, and any other offerings that we're going to give to God before we pay the mortgage, before we pay, uh, well, in our case, we only have a mortgage. We don't have other debt. But utility bills or whatever else. We, we, we make that the priority of our lives is God. The tithe first and all of our offerings to him second, and then we take care of our earthly needs. And that means that we're making the tithe holy and God's able to bless us back with the blessing of the tithe. It's become separate for him. It's not used for missions. It's not used for other bills. It's not used for the poor or any other worthy project. This is so important because it's what you're telling God with your money. If you pay your tithe out of your leftovers, after you've paid everything else, You're telling God that he has lower priority in your life. Other things are your first concern. But if you give him from your first, you're telling God that he has the highest priority and you have the greatest faith in him. And you're trusting him that he'll supply every need that you have. 
Now, the truth is, some of you will never experience or know the freedom and the blessings that I've talked about today because you've already decided in your heart that I'm preaching this message just to get more money out of you. And nothing could be further from the truth. I am sharing this with you because we live in very perilous times today. Somebody better have your back, your back. Somebody better be your backup. You need Jesus to be your provider. And the way that you enter into an agreement with him on this, he comes first. Your tithe comes off the top. In fact, this is more than just a money issue. I want you to think about it. When we worship on the first day of the week, we redeem the remainder of our week. We call this the weekend. It's really not. The weekend is Saturday. Sunday is the first day of the week. Why do we worship on Sunday? We worship on Sunday because Sunday is the day that Jesus rose from the dead. It's the first day of the week. We give him the first. When we give him the first of our day in devotions, it redeems the rest of our day. You see? When you give him the first of your income, your tithe, it redeems the remaining 90% of your income. God causes it to multiply to meet the need with abundance. Let me just leave you one last scripture. It's Proverbs chapter 3, 9 and 10. Verse 9, honor God. Okay, how are we supposed to honor God? Well, with everything that you own. Honor God with everything that you own. How are we supposed to do that? You give him the first and the best. And if you do, verse 10 says, your barns will burst, your wine vats will brim over. Now, I don't have any barns, <clears throat> and I don't have any wine vats, but I do get the picture of what he's saying here. He is saying, if I will do that, and it's not just like try it once and see what happens. It's commit to this as your lifestyle. If you do that, God says he will bless you with more than enough. Now, I know that some of you have never taken this step of faith in your Christian life before, and because of it, frankly, your pockets have holes in them. It's just pouring out. You're saved, you're on your way to heaven, but financially, everything just seems to be going wrong in your life all the time, just like the prophet Haggai said. Others of you have been giving, but it's not been off the top. It's not the first fruits. And you wonder where the blessings are, but you won't have the blessing of the tithe until you make sure that the tithe is off the top. It's not just 10%, but it's the first 10% that you give to God. So here's the question. Will you trust God or not? Here at Life Church, we pray that you have a blessed week. Please connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, or you can always go to lifechurchutah.com.